Hello and welcome to Eclectic Waffle, the podcast with one theme only, interesting conversations with interesting people about interesting things. I'm your host, Tom, and it's very nice to have you here. My guest today is the journalist Peter Franklin. Hello, Peter. Oh, gosh. Hello. That was loud. That was very loud. Oh, I'm sorry. That was. <laughs> you sounded rather cap. Ooh. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, uh, do I need to speak more quiet? No, you probably need to turn down. No, your no, volume. I, I yeah. need to turn down my volume. You know. <laughs> these, I know these technical issues are, you know, rather challenging. But, yeah. Well, I do find them very challenging. In fact, the podcast initially was going to be on YouTube, but um, no one, um, actually not just me, but even a friend of mine who is literally an IT genius, couldn't work out how to upload a Skype video recording to YouTube. But I think it works better as, a, as an audio thing. Yes, I'm grateful for it because, you know, I haven't had a haircut in three months. So just oh, right. as well, just as well. The cruel irony of going bald is that you your hair gets untidier much more quickly than when you have a full head of hair. You know, if you're a sort of inch or two too long with a full head of hair, it's fine. But uh, scraggly bits of loose hair on another largely bald head look terrible. So uh, um, so you've not you've not done the, the, the sort of self-grooming. No. I'm sure, I so think... I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you're self, <laughs> self-grooming, but I mean, you're not, you're not cutting your own hair, no. Yes, well, as, as you know, Tom, I'm not the, um, the best coordinated or dexterous ah. person in the world, so... You could have no ear or something if you'd have done something that. Yeah, like yeah. That. Although yeah. Once a hairdresser did slice off the top of my ear, so that was fun. Really? Yeah. Just with a, a cut little... foot razor or with with a with scissors, just a little bit of just a little bit of skin at the top, and Ooh. it didn't hurt that much. But the blood was was um, profuse. And um, it's not the kind of tip you want to give to a hairdresser, is it? Not really. No. <laughs> yeah, happens. It's it's um, very much part of me. <laughs> well, I I, uh, I I I quite like sentences which are true but misleading, and it, right. it, it, yeah. it, it's it's true that a an Iraqi immigrant once once cut me cut my cut my neck with a knife. Um, so that's literally true. But uh, he was a very nice um, um, hairdresser who accidentally nicked me with a cutthroat razor. And he was, um, well, he was mortified, but happily I wasn't mortified. So I have been nicked right, with a, okay. I've been, I've, I've been nicked with a cutthroat razor, but uh, I haven't had my ear, top of my ear sliced off. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. No, that just, I mean, if you just, there's a little bit of a loose skin right at the top. And, yeah. And it just got a, just a, a sort of sliver of that got cut. You only have to nick your ear and it bleeds profusely, doesn't it? I think it actually does, yes. um, professional wrestlers sometimes do it when they want to look like they've been blooded in a in a fixed, you know, wrestling match. I see. Um, yeah, yeah. So there we go. Wow, I knew this conversation would be under Peter, but I don't think <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's good that it's unplanned. Um, so, I mean, it seems to me of, of, of a lot of my friends, your life perhaps will be changed the least by lockdown. But am I making an assumption there? Uh, no, I am a troglodyte. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, there's, a, there's a number of layers to this. First of all, yeah. I'm, um, I'm a writer, I'm a journalist. So I can do, you know, m- my whole team that I'm part of, we've just carried on just working from home. 
Right. And, you know, I do a lot of working from home anyway. Um, so, you know, I've, and being, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't describe myself as antisocial or reclusive, but um, I'm probably at, you know, in terms of um, tolerating solitude, I'm probably at the far end of the spectrum. So, you know, unlike a lot of people, I found it, you know, uh, relatively easy, um, despite not seeing friends and family for, you know, months now. And I, and I like my friends and family. So, um, but nevertheless, um, you know, I, I see myself as relatively fortunate and, you know, and not everyone's as lucky. Well, this is a, this is an, int- I mean, we've been friends for gosh, just over 20 years yeah, now. Wow, and, um, yes. um, um, and, you're, but I, I entirely agree with that with your self-analysis because you are very sociable. Um, you're, you're self-contained. You think you like your own company a lot more than many people, and and you're able to to do that. But it's not because I think you have a great urge to retreat away from the world. It's not like you're um, it's not like you're a diffident in any way. But um, you just seem very comfortable in your own skin, which is a wonderful quality. It's a wonderful gift to be bestowed with by God, isn't it, really, to to have that quality? Because so many people don't, I think. I guess so, yes, yes. And um, it's, it's not, I don't want to get the impression that I'm enormously self-satisfied. It's it's more of a case of not disliking my company. There's, there's, yeah. there's not, you know, there's less that I need distracting from if, and I think some people need distracting from themselves. Yeah, yeah. I need to be distracted from myself and, and the, the many, many people who live in my head. So, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, no, I was talking about to someone else about, um, or maybe it was a monologue. I, my, I know it was a monologue, actually, that I did, that uh, I find the best way of uh, kind of um, getting a handle on myself is to, is to forget about myself. So I, I've come to enjoy my own company a bit more in recent years, but it's because I've taken up hobbies. So, um, you right. know, I love playing yeah. guitar and I'm sort of trying to learn Italian. And uh, I mean, the guitar in particular, um, obviously, you know, it, the guitar can be something that you do communally, but I do quite like playing um, playing the guitar in my bedroom, singing, you know, just like letting an hour or two go by. Um, and it's a great way of because you have to concentrate so hard. At least mm. I do because yeah. every, everything I've done on the guitar has been a, a battle. Nothing's really come easily. So, um, and and it's been great. You know, part of me wishes I'd learned guitar when I was eight, but another part of me thinks, do you know what? Actually, as you get into middle age, it's good to discover something new because it feels like you're still growing and learning and living. You know, absolutely, it's really important that people do that throughout their lives. Yeah. And uh, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it's it's a good one that um, you mustn't think that education stops when you leave school or university. Um, some people feel it starts then, <laughs> you know. Well, indeed, um, yes, yes, yeah. Well, I mean, I found my university years um, immensely frustrating because the people around me weren't that interested in learning. You know, yeah. Oh gosh. It, yeah. Yeah. I found, you know, I, I went to a rather different university than you did, Tom, but. Um, <laughs> 
but I was I thought it would be this once again we've please. not managed to go 10 minutes without the fact I went to Oxford Come up. it was your fault it was your fault not mine on this although actually because I skillfully manipulated you into saying that um, yes. in fact I said I said I said Oxford and you didn't but there we are yeah so I yeah, know you, no, went you went to, to you know yeah. one amongst many uh, Russell Group universities so that's that right, that's right. Yeah. that's right yeah I also I also actually went to my local university which I've always liked telling people sometimes I just say that I just went to a, I went to a local a local higher higher education institute. Yeah. Um, well, you went to a very good university. It was yes, but, it was a very good university. But I was surprised that it wasn't this sort of intellectual, you know, ferment that I was expecting. And yes. so that came later. That came later yeah. in my career when I found myself amongst people that were genuinely engaged with ideas and concepts and all sorts of creative activities so you know um, I think we over we overemphasize the importance of those three or four years at university and they're, they're, they're really not that important they're... do you know I so agree I yeah. so agree I was talking to another friend um, I won't name them but it is it is someone else because you know they, they didn't say they wanted this to go public but um, it is someone else you know and, and and he was saying he exactly that he looks back on his university years as really quite an insignificant time in his life yeah. I don't think he hated it but he didn't particularly care for it and and he said you know I learned a lot more and developed in other ways at, at other times and there's this there is this obsession yeah with with what with what happens in those and we say three years, but of course, given the holidays and given you, um, it's actually less than three years. Um, Indeed, and yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not very, unless you do a, unless you do a, a, a science degree or whatever. But, um, uh, and I imagine for some people who do foreign languages and go on a year abroad, it might be quite significant. And obviously a lot of people meet their spouse at university, but nevertheless, the idea that it's invariably hugely significant is, is, is mad. Yeah. Is, I, is I think that true. of the, all the years of, formal education i think they're by far the least significant yes i mean gosh yes my a levels had a much more definitive impact on what i did with my life you know i mean so for a start unlike you i mean you're, you're a polymath and i a level suited me but i mean if i got if we'd done an international baccalaureate i wouldn't have gone in i wouldn't have got to lincoln university let alone <laughs> oxford uh, <laughs> and uh, so it suited me to do a small number of subjects um and it's when I feel I really sort of transitioned into the start of young adulthood um, and, you know, became confident in various other ways and started to get a handle on who I was. That came at A-level. And then, as you say, I mean, my goodness, obviously the first few years of primary school are enormously influential. Mm. And then you sort of go to secondary school and start thinking about what you might like to focus on. And yeah, no, I, that's actually a really good and persuasive thesis that university years are the least significant part of your formal education. That's a really good. What they are, though, is, is the entry point for some people to the cultural elite. Yes, and it's that it's that gateway aspect, and that's why people emphasise it so much. And it's it's actually quite a pernicious thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think we are starting to see a huge amount of groupthink among people who went to university. I mean, I feel that a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in in current affairs at the moment, whereby a group of people in in the institution seem to have the same worldview 
which is definitely not the majority worldview in the country at large. I think it's the universities that, that's responsible for that. People go to university and they are inculcated with a kind of cultural Marxism, often by kind of glamorous professors. Um, and then they enjoy going home and telling their parents they've been wrong about everything. Um, and basically, the, I mean, there was a handful of people like that when I was at university. Now they seem to dominate universities and, and their whole kind of worldview seems to be dominant in the arts, in the media, in the public sector, and yet still very much a minority position in the country at large. But you may not agree with that analysis, but that's what I think. Well, my experience, because I did a science degree, there wasn't much in the way of ideology. Not, a, sure. not unless you count Darwinism and stuff like that. But, um, sure, but sure, it sure. It wasn't, you know, I didn't feel that I was ever being propagandised. I mean, that was, that was, you know, that was for the newspaper sellers to do. Um, yeah, yeah. Know, on the, you know, on, on the, uh, the sort of way into the, the student union, it wasn't, you know, mercifully, our, um, our lecturers didn't, um, didn't lecture us in that, in that, in that way. No, no. Although um, one thing that doing a zoology degree did do, as it did for another friend of mine who did a zoology degree, is it did alter your life in quite a profound way by um, encouraging you to become a vegetarian. Um, actually, didn't. Um, <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's a misconception. A misconception. I'm so sorry. Um, ah, my, my other friend who did a zoology degree did and I, I i got it into my head that you had the same no, story no. and it, and the weird thing is that he also went to a grammar school in kent oh, right. so i thought i thought i had two friends who went to grammar schools in kent who did zoology degrees and to their own surprise became vegetarians oh, wow. but no obviously your story is slightly different sorry it is. yes no i didn't become a, a veggie until um what, uh, a few years after university so ah yeah. okay so i was wrong about that yes um i say that you know it, I, and it was from it, I guess it was something that was sort of, I've always loved animals, which is why I did that, did that degree. And I just made, I just made connections and met other people who were vegetarians. And, and it was, you know, it, it was that rather than, you know, learning about them. I tell you what, um, I, um, I have a, there's a vegan friend in, in my village and, um, she actually is 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 right. Uh, she's writing a book, and she she did a she sent a questionnaire to various friends about their sort of attitudes to eating meat, um, and she genuinely wants to understand them. Um, and it's helped to really crystallise my thinking. And it's something I've sort of been semi-aware of for a long time. That I know there's a really good chance if I thought about this more and confronted myself more with the realities that, 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 that there would be a shift in my behavior. In other words, I know I'm being a bit intellectually and morally cowardly. Um, I mean, possibly in terms of eating meat at all, and certainly in terms of the kind of meat that yes, I yeah. get. I mean, the, bit, the big one for me is the realization, which I must say I only had in the last few years, um, of the full horror of the nature of dairy which one always thinks of as a less guilty pleasure because it's not actually eating meat, but actually the whole nature of how milk is produced is, is pretty horrendous. I mean, it was the son of a dairy farmer who said that to me. He said, Tom, you do need to understand it is, it is horrific. Um, so yeah, not good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'd, unfortunately, sorry. No, no, please, off to you. No, I, I, you know, I'd much rather that people cut down and were more careful about where they got their meat and other animal products from. Um, you know, free range, organic, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, rather than just. Um, you know, it'd be better for the whole population to do that than, say, 10% of people going completely vegetarian or vegan. You know, I think that, that, would, be well, this a better, that would be a better outcome. Well, this is an insight that Paul McCartney had. There's a couple of um, myths about Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney's vegetarianism. So, first of all, I think a lot of people think that Linda talked him into it. And actually, I saw him talk about this in a documentary, and they were having a meal one night. And, and they both sort of said they felt uncomfortable. And he said, well, why don't we have a think about being vegetarian? So it was oh, his right. idea. Okay. Um, and then the other thing is because he's a famous vegetarian, I think people think, see him as very kind of judgmental and inflexible. And actually, he, I mean, he has really helped to promote meat-free Mondays. But for exactly, exactly that reason, that, that you think, um, uh, look, what's actually likely to have the most impact and don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And it's something that, I mean, it's something that people who are in the political arena have to consider all the time. I mean, uh, this is a very emotive, potentially incendiary example, but I think it's a legitimate one. Um, it's something that people who are anti-abortion have to think is, do we do we focus on saying abortion's wrong or do we try and, say in America, do we try and convince people who would largely be pro-choice that, that, that maybe partial birth abortion isn't what they thought it was? And, and yeah, likewise with vegetarians, you know, I, I, you sort of don't want to not say what you actually believe and you don't want to start compromising your own values or, or compromising your own um you know you don't want to sort of not try and convince people but equally you want to work out where you're going to get the most bang for your buck and i guess that is a well i mean goodness i mean that applies also doesn't it to um to the lockdown during covid that, that people will have realized that we will have a limited window for how long people will accept being locked down so we need to we need to maximize the, how it's going to be most efficacious it's a it's an ongoing issue for people that particular challenge isn't it it is i mean and, you know, there is a there's our argument that, you know, it's it's about reducing the amount of suffering in the world. And and, you know, what, what is the best way of doing that rather than what's what enables you to impose your absolute ideology on other people? Absolutely. Um, I must say I'm with Jeremy Bentham. Uh, on animals. The question isn't whether they can reason, but whether they can suffer. Um I mean, actually, there's, of course, lots of them can reason. I mean, you know, W.H. Auden once banged the table and said, I know my cat has a soul, damn it. Um, I've got a lot of time for that argument. I certainly don't think of animals as merely machines. No, absolutely not. Um, no. I mean, far from it. So so what animals do you particularly care? Have you, have you had pets growing up? Yes, cats, it was cats growing, up? growing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have pets because I, well, pre-covid i'm often out of the house all day um and yeah you know, I, I don't want to leave leave an animal on it so not even a not even a cat um but you know a, a dog leaving a dog alone all day is just so so wrong um so yeah you got you got to have a you got to have more than one person in the house if absolutely. you're going to own a dog absolutely um i think that's Absolutely right. Do you like um, dogs well, as well? I, I was always a bit ambivalent. And then my brother got one a, a few, uh, two or three years ago. And um, she's wonderful. And so I've, I've come round quite a bit. But 
you know, they yeah. are so much more demanding than, than cats are. They are, aren't they? It takes a lot out of you being yeah. a uh, being a dog owner. Um, we had to rehouse a dog actually, just because it was just too difficult. Right, but, you yeah. know, lovely, lovely, lovely dog. But he was a black lab, and you know, I mean, he was he pulled me down a flight of steps once. I mean, if he could do that to me, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. he was just just being boisterous. He wasn't, you know, he was lovely. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a huge it's a huge undertaking. And yet, you do see people who have this amazing ability just to to have them. Not in a way that seems to break their spirit, but just they really, in the best sense, can control them, and uh, they'll walk alongside them with no, um, you know, with no lead, and they'll come back. And I mean, they—it's a competition, isn't it? That you have actual sheepdog trials and things, don't you? Some people have this amazing Absolutely. ability. Well, a friend of mine is a a sheep farmer, and uh, you know, oh, I've met him. You, I've of met course him. You, do. you have, yes, many, yeah. many, many birthday. years ago. Nice chat. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's still going strong, and uh, but the the bonds between between him and the, the sheepdogs are, you know, incredible, and and they're the, the most intelligent of all the dog breeds. So um, yeah, it's an right. amazing it's an amazing thing to see. Um, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I also have a sheep farm. Oh friend. wow, we can we can we can we can. We can stick it to these metropolitan <laughs> types and say, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> well, I live in farming country, so there's a, yeah, I've got a few friends who are farmers. Um, it's, I love, I love being around it, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a way of life that seems to be on the way out. And, and obviously there's all kinds of concerns about industrial farming yes. practices. Yeah. And I wonder if, I wonder if, uh, do you think life's going to change really profoundly after do you think life will have been changed profoundly by COVID and Ooh, aware of life's going to be different? Um, some things aren't going to recover very fast at all. I mean, the the, no. uh, the cruise ship industry is, <laughs> you know, I don't see that coming back anytime soon. Um, I think air no. travel is in real trouble. Just to rudely interrupt you, I um, just to rudely interrupt you, I, I do also know someone who works on cruise ships. Oh, and really? A friend is right. stand up, and okay. uh, yeah, he got into doing that. He's a really good stand up, actually, and um, I think um, yeah, it was it was a it was a good fit for him. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, that that looks like it's going. Do you, you think the airline industry is in real trouble? You saying? Yeah, Sorry. I mean, they're always on the edge of bankruptcy anyway. Half of these airlines, um, yeah. and um, and you know months upon months and possibly years of certainly in terms of drastically reduced um uh sort of uh passenger numbers i think you know the government is going to have to make some really difficult decisions about what to save and what not to save and i think there's a lot of airlines that well actually they don't have to exist do they well, um, <laughs> I've also got a member of the family who's a pilot. Oh, really? So it's, oh. yes. Um, I, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it's, uh, it, it's it, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, uh, the normal um, Thatcherite philosophy of this stuff, I think even the most kind of neoliberal Thatcherite types will think, well, maybe it doesn't apply here because after all you know the government has insisted that all these things that life is shut down and um 
well, I mean, you get people, people like Sam Bowman, and I think I think Ryan Bourne as well. You know, who who are very much defending bailouts and saying that these are unusual times. And of course, by the way, we can afford them because we we haven't spent lavishly in the past, but um, or as lavishly as the other side would like. But um, yes, that's right. I think I think there there'll be there will be businesses in existential peril, but there'll be whole industries as well. Um, but of course, the the thing about the the airplane industry is that. Uh, covid may do what what some green people have wanted to happen which is which is have it all rolled yeah. back mass scaled back massively well um, we just got to think you know we have lived through an extraordinary period in human history from from the start of antibiotics and vaccines to well yeah the start of this year we have lived through a period in which infectious disease hasn't been you know, the Grim Reaper round every corner. And um, and it's been a sort of charmed period. I know we've had world wars and dreadful things happen, but we've lived through an exceptional period and that period may well have come to an end. And we've therefore got to rethink all of our structures and infrastructures and think, well, what is it that massively multiplies the risk of pandemic? And Number one on, yes. that li- on that list is is air travel. I mean, um, I recently saw a piece of research um, that shows that um, uh, this country, Britain, was infected by people coming in with COVID on at least at least something like thirteen hundred different occasions, and the majority, the great majority Golly. of those were air travellers. And so, you know, air travel just sort of, whatever the risks of disease around the world, air travel massively multiplies it up. I mean, there are millions, in normal times, there are millions of people in the air at any one time. And they're just this machine for, for spreading everything. And, you know, we've got to think, is this sustainable anymore? And I'm not sure if it is. That's so interesting and frightening. I am. Um, I mean, I must say, I am incredulous that when we're ba- when we've been barely allowed to leave our homes, that that people have still been arriving here on flights. I mean, I, I understand that you might want diplomatic fr- flights to get British people here, but I really don't see why people who aren't from here are allowed to come at the moment, given the massive restrictions on the rest of us and how dangerous the implications seem to be. Um, I, I'm I'm just at a loss as to why that's that's happening and they haven't been closed yeah. down I, I, yeah um, i think there's something that you know when we get the inquiries we're gonna have to delve into that because other countries did shut down and have had more success than we have in containing and yeah, we're an island yeah. nation yeah so it should be possible absolutely it should it's yeah. not like people sl- slipping over the border between canada and america exactly yes although you've got to remember that you know he throw in the other other London airports. I mean, it's just one of the biggest airport hubs in the world. And, you know, is there any surprise that London, Paris, New York were also, Milan were also badly affected? It's because, you know, they had, it's not so much because of what the government did or didn't do. It's because there was just a huge sort of um, load of, of virus coming in. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think the whole way we look at a lot of stuff is, is going to have to change. I hope also that we're going to go back to a few first principles in terms of basic values. I mean, I, I certainly have found in my village in Oxfordshire, I hope it's been the same for you in Kent, that um, people really have been looking out for each other and there's been really good humour and... Um, you know, I think people are being taken care of. Is there a nice community I think spirit? So. I mean, it's, it's very interesting walking around the town where I live, and I've been doing a lot more of that. And looking at, you know, some streets have are obviously rarely organised, and others aren't. Um, you know, and the, the organised yeah. ones have those um, those little green pieces of paper in the window, which that shows everything's oh, okay. Yes. And then if you put up a red one, then help is needed. And that's just, just a yeah. fantastically simple and effective system. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's good to see people self-organizing in that way. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Have you uh, you've been able to do your shopping? Because you don't, like me, you don't drive. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, it's, your shopping it's, it's been absolutely fine. And actually, you know, I think that, you know, quite rightly, the NHS workers, etc., have been have been greatly sort of applauded for, for everything they've done and the, the danger they've put themselves in. But, you know, I've been pretty impressed yeah. by how the supermarkets and the supermarket staff have handled all of this. Um, it's not always easy for them. I was speaking to someone who, who, who works in a, in, in a um, supermarket and some customers are awful. Um, rarely rude, rarely sort of yes. not making any allowances at all. Um, but you know the shelves are still full. They've adapted. They've um, they've they've, they've organised the queues and all of that. And it didn't require any sort of police to do it. Um, it all happens, you know, because these people are pretty good at what they do. You are absolutely right about that, and we should have a shout out for them because. They never get any thanks. Um, I mean, there's a, a local um, co-op near, near where I live and the staff are so sweet. And, and, you know, you've got quite elderly people working there and then you've got young people who it's obviously their first job and um, a few middle-aged people who I think probably are, are a spouse who isn't the breadwinner in their home sort of thing. And, do you know, people are rude to them every day. Not not most people, but some people are hideously rude to them every day. And that long predates COVID. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, the, 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 there is there is a way that we treat people in the service industry that that is really, really, really shocking. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got um, I've got some really good friends who, who work in the service industry and. And, you know, they'll, they'll chat to me and, you know, people are just astonishingly rude because they yeah. can be. Um, and they sort of don't see people as human beings, really, I think. It's uh, it's a bit of a British curse, um, as actually is, is is looking down on it as a mm. career choice. I mean, what, my local pub, um, it's, my local pub's had a few, uh, a few sort of different owners in recent times. But uh, under one of the regimes, there was a lad there who was 22 who... Um, who was sort of helping to run the place and we got chatting and he was whip smart. He was so bright. And he said to me, you know, I could have gone to university and it was very obvious to me that he could have gone to a good university. Just, you know, you, you, if someone's highly articulate, you can sort of tell sort of thing. And, um, and he said, but you know, I realized I'd get a massive debt and I'd also realized this is the career I want. I want to work in the hospitality industry. And so I wanted yeah. to get cracking. 
And I think more and more people will make that decision, particularly <laughs> if the degree they're being offered is actually just a sort of online teaching yes. course, as it is yes. at the moment. Um, but also if they're going to go and, and find that there's a howling mob there who won't let sort of anyone say anything without being pounced upon and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that actually, you know, there is a lot to be said for vocational training and, and getting back. And I know you've written very intelligently and wisely about this, both when you were working for politicians and also as a journalist, get, getting back to really valuing yeah. apprenticeships and that kind of stuff. Um, and having a trade, which, by the way, may well have you earn a lot more money than than certainly you or I would be earning. I don't know anything <laughs> like what a plumber earns. Well, I mean, it depends where. Nothing it depends, like you know what level of skill, of course. But um, but it, it's true. Yeah, true. I mean, we we need to greatly sort of upvalue um, hands-on practical skills and and. Um, it's it, this really. I'm not sure if we are a particularly rude nation, but we're certainly a, a snobbish nation when it comes to, to 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 practical skills. And I don't know. I don't understand where that's come from because you know this country is where the industrial revolution started, and and part of the reason for yeah. that is that we you know we did value hands-on you know, sort of bottom-up, sort of, you know, deep knowledge that comes from constant practice and tinkering and, and messing around. And I don't know how along the way we've lost that because it's what builds us. And, and, and now we look down on it. You're so right. And, and you're also right in, in the implication of what you say, which is that this can't all be explained by massively cheap competition from china and elsewhere we have done this to ourselves it hasn't just been done to us by globalization it's an attitudinal thing um and i mean it, it's just so it's so wrong-headed i am in awe of artisans and people who are skillful at working with their with their hands um uh i'm i'm learning a bit about it because of the guitar because um I have to be very careful not to talk about guitars all the time on this podcast. But uh, in short, um, the kind of wood and the kind of bindings and the kind of glues and the kind of bracings that are used in acoustic guitars yeah. enormously affect sound. And so I'm learning a bit about wood. Um, I've also taken up um, snooker and pool, and I'm thinking of getting a pool table. And so I've been looking into how those are made. And, um, oh, you know, it's fascinating, actually. And, and, and the craftsmanship and, my God, I mean, imagine being able to look at something and think, I made that. Uh, we rarely get that uh, that pleasure from writing. I think maybe a really good speech or really good article like you write, but 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 to actually have something tangible in your hand, you have made that's good. Absolutely, that must be a great and, feeling. Yeah, and like you, I I am in awe of people who can do it. And you know, why aren't we celebrating them? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. This is this is one of the few countries where the word engineer sort of conjures up an image of someone in. In grubby overalls, not not a you know a, a you know a high-ranking professional, uh, which is what it should be. Not that there's anything wrong with right. people in grubby overalls, because you know they're the ones keeping, no. keeping the country going. But um, you know we have we've just got this deep-seated snobbery that even even someone who has done sort of four or five um, years of of intensive study 
uh, which an engineering, engineering degree is, is, is still looked down on as not being as, not being as elevated as a, as a, a, a lawyer or, or someone like that. I mean, it's extraordinary. And I mean, you and I have learned over the years um, that, 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 that whilst this is by no means invariably the case, it's possible to be a lawyer and to be fantastically Absolutely. stupid. My God. I mean, my God. I, um, I, I'm partly Scottish and, 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 and a lot of my Scottish ancestors were blacksmiths. And because I'm quite keen to explore my Scottishness and also because I'm big and strong, I have this slightly mad fantasy it might be quite interesting to try and yeah. learn some blacksmithing skills It'd be a nice thing to have in one's armory <laughs> if you'll pardon the sort of pun um just to, just to be able to say that actually i'm a well churchill was 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 very proud of his he had some sort of i think like a sort of city he, yes and absolutely and um, Clare, didn't he? the chartwell is not too yeah. not too far from where i grew up and um i've i've been yeah. walking i've walked through it and you can you can go past the the uh, the walls and the, the structures that that he built. That's fantastic. I bet he was really proud. Well, yeah. we know and he was very was, proud of that. It was therapeutic as well. Was, you know, as we know, he did he did suffer from you know at times yeah de depression and black dog. And yeah, and I can see why it helps. And any anything, even you know, yeah. I, I'm I as you know, I'm not the most. Um, sort of um skilled skilled person in the world but you know it's just something like gardening for instance is 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 great you know it's everyone everyone needs to be doing something in their lives that is that because it's it's a huge part of our makeup of our you know sort of nature as human beings and in so many people it goes all but unused yeah. and i can't imagine that's at all healthy on on any level, you know, physical, mental, spiritual. No, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, when I was really, really ill during one of my breakdowns, I am um, one of the few things I found a consolation was, was just doing the washing up because, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's partly sort of tactile, yeah. isn't it? It's nice to have the warm water, but also you see a bunch of dirty plates and stuff become a, become a clean, thing and and it's absorbing and it takes you slightly out of yourself i mean i'm not for one minute saying that washing up <laughs> is the most uh, engaging hobby but yeah but 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 yeah i mean yeah. E even that yeah. can be something of a consolation so so yeah and building something or making something or learning about and you know it's fun to sort of get into doing a little bit of research into the different kinds of wood but actually that's not as good as just finding out for yourself and using the tools and um, you just don't want to yes. buy a whole load of cheap tat. Um, that's the other thing that, that that it's worth getting things that are good, even if you haven't made them. You don't always want to get the cheap version of something, and yeah. to an extent, you get what you pay for. You know, not everything works to have a cheap to have a cheap alternative, and of course, it also it can be a false um, economy. So I I um, ponied up for an expensive um, an expensive pair of um, top range mexican <laughs> boxing gloves just because you know with well, no social yeah. life well well we're no social we're no social life right now i've you know i've got a bit of spare spending cash and the other cheap gloves i bought before have, have been bursting apart at the seams and these ones are going to last for years and they feel better they protect my hands you know they are better they are better than a cheap alternative and they're made by a company that you know it's a family-run company and they they just have a hugely impressive work ethic and they 
they, ins- they insist the product has to be good and yeah you know lo and absolutely. behold it, it's and better so much software is manufactured is you know mass manufactured is is incredibly is incredibly flimsy um there's so, so, i mean yeah i mean let's not <laughs> let's let, let, let's not denigrate the fact that you know mass manufacturing is is what gives us our whole rich lifestyles um saves us from absolute poverty absolutely absolutely certain goods which are absolute rubbish uh things like gardening gloves for instance you know they they practically explode on contact with uh, with anything botanical and and you know you just think surely though yeah i would pay sort of 10 times as much for something that actually actually stayed together and protected you yeah 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 absolutely absolutely gloves seems to really be a a good example of that because it's true uh, with boxing gloves it's also true with goalkeeping gloves you want to get you want to get a pair made by one of the top german specialist brands they're just so much better than the germany of course they they go yeah value these things famously and you know that's a very good point um has an education system where you know technical education is not only as esteemed as academic education but the pathways are as clear and well defined and properly signposted as academic education whereas in this country you know it's still the technical education system is still a complete mess it seems that we are atrocious and I have to say that I blame the civil service for this in large part from my experience. And I've worked, um, you know, I've got some experience of the civil service that, that, um, that we are atrocious yeah. at learning from, learning from abroad. I mean, we will not learn from abroad when it comes to healthcare. And obviously the German civil service, uh, the German um, healthcare system is really good and involves a lot of private money as well as a, a big state thing. And, and yeah, and in terms of education, but the minute you sort of, I think ministers say I want to know a bit more about this. Mm. They're told, no, we can't do that. But of course, they should take it upon yes, themselves. Yes, they should. To, they to should. And, but we're, there's no time for that, you see. Everything, everything is sort of, it's all process. And it's, it's all, all process, kind of isn't it? In time for the, you know, what do we need in time for the next announcement for such and such a day in the grid? Yeah, yeah. Um, for, for this white paper. Um, there is no one who is taking a step back, um, whether, and this is whether it's the civil service level or the, the, the kind of political Downing Street operation. Everything is in the here and now. No. And it, it, you need people, you know, you need the, you, you need the, the, the uh, terrible cliche, but the blue sky thinkers who are not being phoned up at sort of midnight by a sort of Dominic Cummings type figure or whoever it might be, the chief spin director or what have you sort of say, you know, emergency, emergency, we need this right now. Um, You need people that are, that have the space to think and explore and create and, you know, invent a better future and by all means then test it rigorously but, but, you know, let those people, yeah. um, you know, let the wongs, let the boffins, whatever you want to call them, let them have their space too. Well, and the other problem is that, that people like that are going to be less and less attracted to politics because, first of all, of the sort of howling mob mentality that means anyone of a remotely sensitive disposition just doesn't want to be involved. But also, 
those kind of thoughtful people, and you and I experience that, let's face it, are, are sort of overwhelmed and, and overridden by yes. by the kind of gobby of types who just want to hit, hit the deadline for that evening and I... want to simplify the thing. Or, or even just do something that sort of sounds better superficially, even if it's not yeah. better in practice. And yeah, it's a massive problem. I mean, to be honest, I hate to say this as a as a sort of Democrat who is a big fan of freedom of speech, but I actually think in practice, twenty four hour news has yes. done enormous no, damage. No, no, to no, no, I was, I was just but I interrupted say, you. Then um, sorry. Absolutely right about the gobby types, but it's also the the sort of very processy, sort of dried up bureaucratic types who who see imagination oh, and new yeah. ideas and challenges to the status quo as you know at best irrelevant and 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 more likely they'll see it as as kind of willfully disruptive yeah yeah and i do have sympathy for dominic cummings in what he says about his yeah. experience at the dfe yeah there's no, there's no doubt that there was a, a lot of that, and they had to fight it. And I, I think when when we look back on the 2010, 2015 government, Gove, Gove is is, yes. is the standout yes. cabinet minister of that. Personally, he set, he set up a whole new bunch of really good schools. I mean, that's an enormous accomplishment. Harold Wilson was proud for having invented the, well, having helped the creation of the Open University, and rightly so. But Gove's opened but a whole load of schools. It was I mean, it's brilliant. Back in the sixties. And even even during the war, when there were, you know, there were still sort of, um, you know, v, V1s and V2s raining down on London. Someone said to uh, William Beveridge and other other sort of architects of the post-war settlement, you go away, you do a report into how we can completely transform the country. You know, <laughs> this war is everything at the moment, but one day it will be over. And actually, we've got to think ahead. And I yeah. don't see that happening. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting reading some of Dominic Cummings' longer essays on his blog, you know, which I, I don't agree with everything he's said, but my word is it interesting stuff. But I don't see that yes. happening in government. How can we turn these interesting visions? How can we turn them into, into things that might improve lives in um five or ten years time or or or, 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 a, or a longer time frame but no no you can't you can't you can't do anything that looks beyond the next election and and that's as far as it goes it's normally much more urgent and immediate than that well i've got a friend um a um an english a caucasian english friend and he um is a big sinophile and learned chinese and and lives and works in china and he's by no means drunk the kool-aid but he he did say to me once very reasonably and calmly he said you know i mean <laughs> it is easier to make long-term decisions if you don't have a democracy and that is okay, true but, as well but we did it course, we did it in the war but, uh, we were a democracy but, then and you know well, the great thing about a world war is that it, it really does give um, moral ballast for saying we need to do things profoundly differently, which is why on Eclectic Waffle, I am encouraging the, you know, but uh, maybe COVID can do that. Maybe that will allow us space to say, look, we don't quite know what the answers are, but clearly we need to think yeah. about some things in a different way. I'm not convinced about that, though. I mean, for example, the fact that the NHS um, was it threatened with being overwhelmed and that, for example, 
it didn't have PPE. And I don't actually see why they couldn't have predicted a pandemic could happen. And I don't see why they couldn't have had PPE ready for all of their workers. That seems to me to be a pretty poor error. Um, But whilst we're rightly praising the people who work for the organisation, I don't sense that COVID has said maybe the system isn't entirely fit for purpose. There still seems to be a fetishization of the NHS as an institution as opposed to the people who work in it of course not all of them are good either i mean we've seen terrible terrible things i mean Harold yes. shipman would be a very extreme example but we have seen um he i'm prepared to accept he's an outlier although of course the sort of veneration of doctors may not have helped maybe why he was able to do it for so long but we've also seen terrible abuses dreadful things in care homes as part of the wider system um so actually not all nh staff are are fantastic and, and some of them just aren't good enough even if they're not venal but but certainly the institution seems to not be fit for purpose in, in a variety of ways and i don't sense that we're willing to challenge yeah um, its supremacy well, at all I, it, it's it's a, it's a difficult one because you know i am a firm believer in the, the kind of single payer principle which is that you have one really big because the reason why we have you know pretty low costs compared to america is that effectively we have a system for um, not only just rationing the healthcare, but effectively um, effectively uh, um, fixing the market so that the suppliers don't get to dictate the price. And I think we need to oh, yeah. expect that. Come, come what may. But there we are need cultural to do... things that do need to be challenged. Yes. And there's, you know, there's... There's some really odd things that happen in hospitals. And um, as we know, because there have been scandals, you know, organ retention and then just all, some very strange. And I've, a few times yeah. I've been in the hospital, you see real contrasts between really wonderful nurses and then absolute sort of layabouts that clearly don't care. Um, and it's. Yeah, it's very, Absolutely. very strange. And it's just Absolutely. not... It, it, and you're quite right to say that it is, you know, challenging doctors is a, is a deep cultural taboo. And I can remember when Chris Morris in... I think, uh, he, he did a sketch uh-huh. in which he showed a doctor behaving in a truly grotesque way. And it was remarkable. It's one of the most transgressive things he's ever done. Yeah. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the, I agree with all of that. Um, it should be a huge advantage for the NHS. And and, as, and you're right, they do keep costs down as a result. But they also have failed to because of, you know, the famous case would be some um, trusts yeah. spending vastly too much on rubber gloves. You know, just not working together to really, really push the prices down. But yes, of course, there can be huge advantages to having a, a big organisation yes, in terms absolutely. of research and development, yeah. in terms yeah. of the data that they that they can collect, which is great for public health. And this is another debate, but potentially if it's um, made anonymous, it can also be sold to others so that they can have the data set to, you know, which would be very valuable. Um, but there are flip sides as well. And no institution, and I would I would also say, this applies to religious institutions. It's never good as that if they're seen as being beyond reproach and beyond yeah. questioning. It's whenever that happens, yeah. things go disastrously wrong. And the, I mean, the other very, very simple observation is that any in any large collection of people, yeah. there'll be some utter rotters, 
and there'll be some incompetence. That's inevitable. That's human nature. Um, so I think uh, to love the NHS or, or certainly to love the concept of good healthcare for all is, is to be willing to question it and Absolutely. ask difficult questions Absolutely. precisely because it matters so much. You know, a lot of the people who, you know, the think tanks, etc., who are willing to do it do have an agenda. I mean, they do want to privatise and marketise what shouldn't be privatised and marketised. So you get a, you get a very polarised debate, um, whereas the, it should be much more it's kind of exploratory and without prior assumptions. Yeah, that's always very hard. Not, for, But that's why you need a debate, because even if people bring their own stuff to the table you you know you have competing visions and you you try and work out a way through but uh i don't know i think the whole the whole nature of yes. political debate in this country has become so debased because a because of the howling mob yeah. and b because so many people are just so bloody stupid there are not enough clever people also the media in only seems to be anymore. able to focus on one um, thing at a, at a time and i think and, and grotesquely right um over overstates its importance. Well, this is where your wonderful website, unheard.com, that's U-N-H-E-R-D.com, really comes into play because you very much buck that trend. In fact, it's one of your kind of very reasons for being, isn't it? You don't want to fall prey to that mistake. You want to write about things in an intelligent way and that not just be a slave to current affairs and certainly to sort of what's in the media it's, it's a wonderful yeah, it's, website um, are you still you know, enjoying it's been all of that? strength to strength uh, readership has been exploding so i think there is at least uh, a demand for that um so you know that that's one of the i guess the encouraging things is that <clears throat> you know in a free society obviously if if the, the sort of established structures aren't delivering then at least new stuff can 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 emerge and uh, fill those needs. So you know, you know, let's let's avoid any sort of um, destruction of that that ability to 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 to, to renew and 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 to try new things. And it is great that it's so much easier for people to 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 take a DIY approach. You know, you you. Um, you know, you can have a very professional website. You know, you don't need to build a printing press and a comedian can can do little clips and put them up on YouTube. So we are, the internet has, it's not just sort of good for, as it were, the consumer, but for the producer that they can, they can get something up and running that then really does take flight now. You know, you're not having to break into a market. I mean, in a way, of course, it's much more competitive and it's, it's much harder for professional journalists to earn a, a living because there's so much free content and there's so much content but but if you want to kind of get something up and running you can you can do it and you know the chips fall where they may and things stand or fall on the basis of how good they are and I, i'm not surprised unheard's going from strength to well, strength it's a, it's a mark of the quality it's um, great you know we still hope to really be around in, a, in a few years time but you know we'll see Absolutely. Well, Peter, um, uh, we could talk for ages. Uh, you may be surprised to learn that we've been talking for I'm not surprised uh, 44 minutes. 50, 54 on this minutes. wonderful app you're um, using, there's a counter which tells me ex the, 
It does, yes, yes. Oh, it comes up on your side too, does it? Okay, great. <laughs> I would love to come back. Um, but love to have you back sometime. Um, and thank you for supporting the the, uh, the podcast. Um, and um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend and we'll catch up socially. Very good. Lovely to hear Even if it's virtually, uh, very soon. Great Bye-bye. to have you, Peter Franklin on Eclectic... That was Eclectic Waffle with Peter Franklin. Thank you very much for listening. Do check out our other episodes and hope to catch you next time on Eclectic Waffle.